You're listening to The Crossroad Podcast with Joey Willis. Through redefining effective leadership, The Crossroad Podcast explores what it means to live a life of intention and purpose. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of effective leadership and vibrant living. Hello and welcome back to The Crossroad Podcast. Today's episode is all about structure. And if you'll remember, in our first and second episode, we talked about the three elements of an organization. And those three elements are purpose, structures, and people. And so when we think about structure, a structure is anything that is built to connect people to the purpose. And we build these things either with intention or without. But every organization, every group, every community that you're a part of has structures. They have things either implicit or explicit that are in place to try to connect the individuals to the collective shared purpose. So what we want to talk about, not just in this episode, but throughout this season, is how to be intentional about creating the most effective structures possible. And not just the most effective structures to get somebody from A to B, but the most effective structures in terms of making sure we get people to the right vision, to the right place that we want them to go. And so a couple of examples of of how structures might work. Uh, Think about a university campus that has sidewalks that are leading um, from one building to the next. Those sidewalks are a structure, just as the campus as a whole is a structure. So the sidewalks are a way to funnel students and staff and faculty from one place to the next so that they can get there efficiently and so they can uh, be ready to learn. Now, imagine that you have a university president who gets up in front of everybody and, and says, we are people who walk as the crow flies. That's who we are. That's what we do. We are crow-flying, walking people. Uh, So what that is, his statement is a structure. His statement is a way to try to instill um, efficiency onto the student body. But it creates a little bit of confusion because the design of the campus has those sidewalks that suggest that that's the path that you should go. And so when a student wakes up late for class, they might come to the quad or whatever, and there's lawns uh, with sidewalks winding through. And that student is going to do one of two things, either going to follow the physical design of the campus and go through the sidewalks, or he's going to follow that voice of the president and just, you know, take a diagonal straight through the lawn. And, you know, maybe the reality is the student is choosing between those two things, but the motivation might be any number of of things. It might be because the student is late. So what I'm saying is that the student might take that diagonal route, not just because the university president said so, but because it is what he or she wants to do in that moment. And so when we have these kind of confused structures, uh, these kind of sometimes mutually exclusive structures, we create a lot of of, uh, chaos, a lot of room for interpretation, a lot of confusion, and a lot of people just trying to do things their own way for their own reasons. And and that affects the culture. That affects the organization. And, And what's interesting about this is if you were to ask any student at that school, what is the structure of how you get from class to class? They're going to parrot the messaging that is vocalized from on high. 
But if you start to ask them, well, how do you like get from class to class? What do you go one way from the other? Some of them may be taking the way that the president outlined, but some of them may say like, well, you know, I, uh, I actually just kind of I follow I follow the sidewalks or you might ask all of them, what do you do on like a really rainy day or a really snowy day when the field is all mucky? They'll say, well, then I then I take the sidewalks. And so you say the you say to them, well, so which is it? Do you are you only, you know, people who travel as the crow flies when the weather's nice or is that, you know, the core of your identity or of your structure? So all of this to say that both the design of the campus and the voice of the president are structures. And sometimes they can be at odds with one another and they can be confusing and they can create a sense of dysfunction or a sense of, of chaos. And, and this is a metaphor that, that is all kinds of messed up if you start poking holes in it. But what I'm trying to get out here is given, give you an example of what a structure is and how it funnels people towards the purpose. Another quick example that I'll give you, and, and we'll try to weave these through as we go, uh, we've mentioned before in some of our other episodes uh, the softball team that we were on for our work, and we joined this league. And the real vision, the real purpose of the softball team was just to have fun, to get to know our coworkers a little bit, and, and just enjoy the New York City summer out in Central Park. Uh, and so that was the mission. And we had all of these different people with different levels of. Uh, athletic ability, different levels of competitiveness. And so one of the structures that's put in place is matching players with positions. You know, you've got to put people on the field in certain spots. You've got to create a lineup, a batting order. And those things are to help funnel each of the individuals and us collectively towards that shared purpose of having fun. So what you're going to do is you're going to want to put a player in a position that they're most comfortable. You're not going to want to put the best player that you have in a position where they're not going to get a lot of balls. And you don't want to put the worst player on your team in the position where they're going to get uh, a ton of, of, of hits at them or, or a ton of uh, balls thrown their way. And you do that not just because of efficiency, but because of the comfort level of the players. You know, somebody on our team that might be one of the worst players, they know they're one of the worst players. And so they don't want to hurt the team. They want to be in a place where they can contribute um, and where they can have the responsibility that they're comfortable with, but nothing more, certainly nothing less, but also nothing more. And so putting together a batting order and putting together a team on the field is a way to build structures that enable people to achieve that purpose of having fun. So when we create these structures, what we're essentially doing is making a path of least resistance. And so if you think about uh, a building, um, we create obstacles to funnel people the way we want them to go. So we've got hallways, we've got doorways, we've got elevators, and all of that creates a path of least resistance. So if I am walking to a coworker's office, the reality is I've got a lot of options. I could climb through the air ducts. I could spend my time with a sledgehammer trying to break through the wall. I could try to climb up into the roofing tiles and back over the other side. I could walk on the ledge outside and try to come through their window. Why do I... Why do I choose to walk through their doorway? Because it's easiest. It's the most efficient. It's the path of least resistance. Why would I waste all my time doing all of those other things when it's best to go through 
the doorway. I choose the path of least resistance, and generally speaking, human beings do that all the time. So when we build structures, what we're essentially doing is we are trying to create a path of least resistance. And so, we're well, we're trying to create a path of least resistance that funnels people toward the purpose. So what we want is we want to put up obstacles for any path that is outside of that. So let's go back to our example of the university campus. Uh, so let's say that the, the university president just really wants people to just get to class as soon as possible. But a lot of the students at the school uh, are rule followers, and they're just maybe not even thinking about it. They just don't feel comfortable kind of walking on the grass. Or, or maybe there's a lot of visitors who come and just assume they shouldn't walk on the grass. So they're following the sidewalks. They're following uh, what in their minds is a, the path of least resistance because grass is an obstacle. It's, it's, an, it's a no-go. You don't want to mess up the beauty of the campus. And so there's a sumptive obstacle in place. And so what can you do to help free that up? So another way of asking this is, what do you do if your structures aren't funneling people in the way that you hope they would, in the way that you design them to? Uh, so an example for our university campus, you could put up signs on the, on the lawn itself that say, you know, uh, feel free to walk across the lawn or something like that. Uh, and you actually see this in reverse in a lot of uh, campuses or a lot of places where they're trying to maintain their lawn, where the university president uh, will say, you know, we are people of order and people of beauty and, and people of, uh, of doing the right thing and, and preserving the natural beauty of our campus. So please use the sidewalks. But once again, if students are late, they might be barreling across the lawn. And so you put up a sign that says, please stay off the grass. So that's an obstacle that will help funnel people onto the sidewalk. And in that, you know, kind of bizarro scenario, from what I initially presented, uh, will reinforce the structure that you actually want. But you could, again, to go back to the original metaphor, you could put up a sign that says, please feel free to, to walk on this. You could, um, you could put up build into your structures where on the tours that people give for campus, they take groups across the grass on purpose to sort of show them that this is the, this is okay. This is, this is who we are and what we're trying to do. And so when we talk about building, building culture and we talk about building structures specifically, what we've got to keep in mind is what is the path of least resistance for our participants? Where are they going to go? What is easiest for them to do? And so in the example that I gave of our softball team, you know, if you have a second baseman that's just really kind of struggling in their position, they're starting to get frustrated, they're starting to uh, feel the weight or the pressure, you might adapt your structure a little bit to scoot the shortstop over, to cheat the shortstop towards the second base side a little bit to help with the struggling uh, second baseman. And so this helps us to navigate structure more efficiently and more effectively. We've got to be aware of the different things that we do and the different ways that we shuffle those structures. And each time we do, the, the path of least resistance changes a little bit and the funnel itself changes a little bit. What we want to make sure of is that that funnel is always aimed towards the vision that we share as an organization. So when things aren't going right with your structures, there's two things you can do. You can build obstacles. You can put things in the way 
to keep people from going off track. The other thing that you can do is build pathways. Uh, if that university professor is, or, sorry, that university president is having a difficult time, he or she could build a diagonal sidewalk across the lawn so that those students that are kind of rule following and are, are afraid to step in the grass have a straighter, more as the crow flies path. Um, if you have somebody who is struggling, um, let's say you've got a catcher on the softball team who's just using a normal glove. You can get them a catcher's glove. Uh, so you give them more, you give them a better resource, better equipment. And then that way they, the pathways open up to them. They're better equipped to navigate the structures effectively. So as I mentioned early on, one of the struggles that we get with this path of least resistance is that there's not always consistency. Sometimes the path of least resistance in terms of what somebody is saying is different than the path of least resistance of how structures are physically built. So I, I told you before about the university president saying, we're going to go as the crow flies, but all of the sidewalks and all of the design of the buildings making it such that students have to go out of their way and have to wind and weave to get to where they're going. When this kind of thing happens, when this kind of thing happens, it creates confusion in the organization. Um, so you might be at your workplace and your boss might say, uh, look, this isn't really about the numbers. We just want you to work hard. We want you to do your best. Uh, this is a create something culture. Feel free to, to give it your best shot, but don't feel... Uh, the weight and the pressure of numbers. So your boss might say that every every week in, in the staff meeting. But then day in and day out, uh, people might be fired because they aren't reaching numbers. You might be brought into your boss's or your direct report's office because of the numbers you're not reaching. And so those kinds of inconsistent messages throw us into confusion in our organizations because we're not sure what the real purpose is. We're not sure that we're really sharing where we're going. And so if we're not sure where we're going, we're not sure which structures to follow, which structure is right, which structure uh, really means something to me. And so what we end up doing is I've got to cipher this for myself. And so in business, and we get this in families and stuff too, but certainly in businesses, what happens is it's like, okay, nobody really understands what's going on here. It's all very inconsistent. I'm going to go back to what I know and what's safe, which is... What is best for me? Which, in the best of circumstances, in the clearest of circumstances, what's best for me is to participate in fullness with everybody else in the organization. But when the fullness of the organization isn't clear, then sometimes I can pervert that whole idea and turn it into what's best for me is just to get more control, to get a higher salary, uh, to leapfrog power positions until I get to the top. So this is, is prevalent in business today. You get all of these people who come and who have their own vision for what they want out of their day or their time with a the company. They have their own structures, their own agendas, their own ideas for how to achieve those things. And in large part, it's not just because these are selfish or bad people, but it's because we haven't given them a clear structure uh, for achieving a clear purpose. 
that is higher and bigger than any one individual. And so it's largely a part of inconsistent messaging. And so we will tell people the path of least resistance is A, but everything that we build into what we do, how we celebrate, what we reprimand, all of those things create a path of least resistance towards B. And so people are confused. Is it A? Is it B? And they feel like they're kind of jostling back and forth. And, uh, you know, I read something when I was doing youth ministry about how teenagers today just kind of adapt a whole different personality based on where they are. So each uh, class period of the day, there's a different kind of social dynamic, a different uh, teacher that they are learning how to appease. When they're in the hallway, there's a whole different language and a different mindset of, of the way that they're acting. And so we become that kind of a person when there's inconsistent messaging. Uh, we might really act one way in front of our peers and another way in front of our boss. We might act one way in one meeting, a different way in a different meeting. And so all of this creates just a real sense of dysfunction within an organization. And the only way to really clear that up is to be consistent because here's one of the things you know I I experienced this working in the local church. We would say things all the time like, uh, like Sunday morning is not the most important thing about us as a church. But all of the majority of our money, the majority of our time and our attention and the things that we celebrated all happened on Sunday morning and all centered around Sunday morning. And so we would say we want people to be disciples seven days a week. We want people to be alive and awake and um, throughout the entire. And that wasn't untrue. But everything that we were doing from a physical structure standpoint reinforced the idea that Sunday morning was the thing that really mattered. And so we create this real kind of confusion in the church if people are like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be like alive and awakened spiritually seven days a week. But the truth is, I don't really have anything to do that with. All I have is is. Um, you know, the the music, the preaching, the, the gathering on Sunday morning. And so that de facto becomes the culture. It becomes the way that we operate. It becomes the predominant structure. And if we're not careful, the things that we do will become much more powerful than the things that we say. And it, just think about it in terms of numbers. If your boss tells you once a week, this is the kind of culture we want in our company, but every single day you have these tiny little microcosms of a different message, those microcosms are going to add up and are going to feel more true and more reinforced than the occasion when your boss tells you something different. And so what we do is way more important than what we say. And I think a lot of times we sort of close off our awareness of structures and we say, well, I told everybody this is the way it's going to be. And I said that this is what we want and this is who we are. And that definitely is a structure. That is a thing that helps funnel people towards purpose. But if there's a gap between what you're saying and what you're doing, people are going to lean on what you're doing. They're going to give more attention to the way things actually are, practically speaking, behaviorally speaking than the aspirational voice that we are calling forth. And so if we're going to say something, we've got to make sure that our physical structures are 
in alignment with what we're saying. Otherwise, people are going to be confused. There's going to be inconsistent messaging. So what does it look like when structures are operating efficiently? What does it look like when there is a real sense of alignment and there is a real sense of clarity? Well, when that happens, when our structures are funneling people towards the vision that we have for the organization, the purpose is achieved, shared. And we're going to get into all about purpose in the next episode. But essentially, people will participate in the shared vision. It will be realized. The other thing that will happen is people will start to discover uh, the connection between who they are and what they're doing in the organization. So said another way, people will start to understand that there is a direct connection between their individual purpose and the organizational purpose. That only happens through clarity and efficient structures. Without that, the chaos and the confusion invites people to decide either follow the organizational message, whatever that might be or whatever they might interpret that to be, or the individual purpose that that this particular participant has. And so when we create clarity, what we do is we erase that false dichotomy and we help people understand that participating in the organizational culture is also a way of expressing your individual values and vision. And so when we have effective structures, it's like unclogging that hallway, that connector between people and purpose. And it's it's not just on an organizational level, but also on an individual level. And people will start to see that there's some alignment between who they are as individuals and what they're doing at work. And without that, when that when that artery is is clogged, people start to see their participation in this organization as an obligation, um, something they just have to do in order to get a paycheck so that they can achieve their dreams and their personal visions and desires on weekends or on vacations or or some other way, shape, or form. Uh, and so when we have effective structures, it helps people to see that alignment. Another result when we do this effectively is that production increases. Uh, and, and so, you know, this is a really dangerous idea because in the wrong hands, we start to pretend to have good structures in order to manipulate good production. But good production, increased production, is a byproduct of good culture, not the other way around. So what, what I mean is that if you try to manipulate culture in order to produce results, that in itself is going to be a poison uh, that undermines your productivity. Because people are most awakened and most inspired, most motivated by, by seeing and understanding their role in a shared vision. So when you do that, people will produce more. And so, you know, if uh, I use this example a lot, but if, if I'm standing in line at Starbucks and I work at a job that I just don't, I don't like or I don't understand what the vision is, then I'm focused on coffee. I'm thinking about Uh, my hobbies, I'm thinking about my vacation, I'm thinking about my dating life, any number of other things. If I'm standing in line at Starbucks and I work for an organization that I love and I really feel valued and celebrated and part of something big, the odds that I'm going to continue to think about my role in that organization are higher. 
I do this all the time. You know, I still think about all of those other things. But what I'm saying is there's an increased amount of time that I'm at Starbucks and I'm thinking about what to say in these podcasts, about what to do with our work. It becomes more a part of who I am. It becomes less siloed uh, into the cubicle that I work in and more a part of who I am. And therefore, production naturally increases because there's more energy, there's more effort being put into uh, the company being put into the organization. And this works uh, for, we've talked about families, marriages, different types of organizations. The same thing works. If you are away from your family and you feel this just like sense of relief because everything is so chaotic and confused and dreadful when you're around each other, well, then you're going to feel a bit free while you're doing everything else. Whereas if you feel this shared sense of vision and this shared sense of belonging, within your family, then you're going to think about them while you're in line. When good things happen, one of your first thoughts is going to be, I want to call a family member and tell them. I want to celebrate with them. And that increases the productivity, to put it kind of crudely, of what a family provides, this sense of safety and, and comfort and belonging and togetherness. So things, the byproduct of a good culture is increased productivity. But just to reiterate this, because I can't say it enough, is you can't manipulate this effectively. Uh, and this is what a lot of, of companies, a lot of families for that matter, try to do. We try to have uh, that message of a shared vision we try to say this is what we are and this is what we're going to do because we want increased results. So to go back to that example of a CEO that says, don't worry, this isn't about productivity. This isn't about the numbers. You just try the best that you can. If that CEO is just saying that to try to get you to get better numbers, in the end, the real structures, the real what we do is going to follow that pattern more than the you know BS that he might be saying um, once or twice and once or twice a week in this in a staff meeting. So those kinds of things are going to reveal themselves. And we often talk about toxic cultures, and I think this is what we mean. We talk about cultures where people are saying something, but really they're doing something else. They're saying something to try to manipulate a different result, and that creates a sense of distrust and dysfunction that will reveal itself in the end. But if we're doing this well, if we're really caring about a shared vision together and there's a collective understanding and clarity about what that is and we build structures that effectively funnel people in that direction, we'll be more productive, just practically more productive. So this is a quick kind of chaotic overview of structure and how to build structure and how to create passive least resistance for the organizations that you're a part of. And, and this, these, all the things we are talking about here, these are kind of the atoms of culture. When you start to pull these things together, we start to create a culture. When we talk about building a culture, this is how it's erected. This is how a culture is built. It's with a mindfulness of um, the structures that we're building. And this is what our next episode is about. It's with a clarity and an intention, an aggressive intention towards the true purpose of our organization. So a few more notes on uh, how we can start to create structure. I want to start to get a little bit more practical, uh, not just a through the last few minutes today, but as we move forward. Um, the first thing is to keep in mind that structures are not just the things that you communicate from on high. Structure is physical. 
it's mental, it's emotional. It's all of the things that we say, all of the things that we do, all of the things that we communicate. And you communicate not just by what you say out loud. You know, there's those studies where a bonkers amount of communication is nonverbal. It's uh, your um, you know, physical demeanor and movements, and it's your tone of voice more than like what you actually say. Uh, that's most of what communication is. And the same thing works when we talk about building structures. It's not just physical, it's mental and emotional. If we want to build intentional structure, here's a good way to think about it. What you're building is models within those three areas, physical, mental, emotional. You'll, you're building models. So when people communicate within your organization, they have these models as the backdrop, uh, kind of like the setting in which those things happen. And one of the most important models is mental models, because physical models are just so like physical, they kind of are there. And mental, I'm sorry, emotional models are always just going to be a bit erratic. That's what emotions are. They're, they're just a bit crazy, and, and they're, they're that way for a reason. So we need these kind of, um, you know, hyper-real physical models and these kind of hyper-abstract emotional models. But those mental models are the things that kind of help to coalesce all three of these kinds of structures. So throughout the entirety of this season, we're going to focus on mental models because they're the key for building a structure. Let me give you a quick example of, of how this works. Think of the just like practical structure, the physical structure of a organization as a pyramid. So on the top is the CEO Below that is a set of, you know, vice presidents, upper management. Below that is middle management. Below that is just kind of normal employees. You know, at the very bottom of the pyramid is is uh, brand new hires, right? And, and so that is just a reality. That is just a physical model of how organizations operate. We need somebody at the top who can kind of at the end of the day say, all right, this is the decision that we're making. This is the uh, this is the vision, and and this is the direction of the company. Um, so, in terms of function, that's a physical model. But when it comes to a mental model, we have one of two options: we can think of the company in the same way, or we can flip it upside down and think of an of an inverted pyramid as the mental model for how you operate as a company. And in that flipped inverted pyramid, what you're essentially saying is that the CEO, the job of the CEO is not to tell everybody what to do, but the job of the CEO now at the bottom of the pyramid is to serve and equip and resource everybody else moving up the pyramid. Uh, and so that doesn't change the physical model, the reality that this is, you know, if there's a tiebreaker, or if there's a a terrible track that the company is going down. The CEO is in there in order uh, to do some of some of those operations, in order to make some of those decisions. But when we think about our company, when we think about what it means to be a leader, when we think about the general day in and day out of how things operate, uh, we can flip that pyramid upside down. So here's how that might look practically in terms of a mental model. In the first instance, the CEO says, "All right." 
this is a this is a top-down pyramid. I'm the CEO, so everything needs to run through me. Every decision needs to go through me. Um, so that could be a mental model of, of keeping the pyramid as it is. When you flip the pyramid upside down, the CEO adopts this mental model. The company adopts this mental model that says, all right, the CEO only makes those major decisions when he or she has to. So another way of saying this is that the decisions are pushed to the person who's most capable of making it. So instead of just assuming the CEO needs to make every decision, uh, we push those decisions to the people who are on the ground, the people who are kind of the most directly informed about it. And only when there's uh, struggle or complications does it trickle to middle management and upper management and, and to the CEO when necessary. So it's just, just a way of saying that we, uh, we have a choice of how we think about leadership and how we think about culture and how we think about self-governance within our organization. We can think about it as an inverted pyramid. We can th- and the way we think about it will inform the way that we do it. Uh, and it'll, it'll change our culture and it'll change the way that we do things. So it's just a, an example of a, a mental model. We'll get into that as we go. But as I said, a few more things for creating culture. One is to build with intention. We always have to put things in place with the end in mind, with the purpose at our heart. So when you're designing a campus, a university campus, you can't just be thinking like what looks pretty. You've got to be thinking what serves the purpose of what this institution is about. How do we get people where they need to go efficiently and quickly, but also in a way that um, is celebratory, in a way that looks nice or whatever, right? So we have to build with intention. We have to put things in place with intention. And a lot of times we build structures out of necessity. We build structures in a reactionary sort of way. It kind of reminds me, you know, post 9-11, there were all of the changes to how we fly and how uh, security worked. And a lot of times it was like, okay, somebody got something in through liquid. So then from that day forward, the structure changed and we had to you know, do certain things with liquids. Somebody snuck something in in the sole of their shoes. So from that day on, we had to take off our shoes and put them in a bin. So all of these are reactionary structures. And the problem with that is that they're waiting for a problem before they react to it. And so they're not prepared for the next new thing. They're always going to be behind the problems. And so we need to build structures with intention, with foresight, rather than hindsight. The next thing is to just be consistent. Make sure that your physical structures are in alignment with your mental structures and your emotional structures. Make sure that you're not saying one thing and doing something different. Make sure that you're not communicating one set of messaging in uh, the like official announcements, the official emails that go out, but a completely different set of things when you're whispering with co-workers or, or whispering after a meeting or, or in a meeting. And so consistency is a key. So build with intention, be consistent, understand that structures are physical, mental, and emotional, and that this all is very complicated because we're people and there are a lot of different uh, avenues and elements to structures and a lot of different things going on at once. But in one way, it's also very simple. 
And the simplicity comes from a consistent message about your purpose and your vision. If you have a consistent message about purpose and vision, then almost any structure can help wind you, maybe it's the longer way, but it can help wind you back to that vision. So in our next episode, we're going to talk about purpose. And we're going to talk about purpose explicitly within organizations and explicitly in terms of building culture. Because if we don't have a clear and honest sense of what the purpose of our organization is, everything else we do is going to lead us astray. Thank you for listening to the Crossroad Podcast. The world is out there waiting for you to become the best leader you can possibly be. We hope our conversations have helped. For more, please visit our website, thecrossroad.net.